Okay, Beyonders, welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. This is a winning Warcry. We are happy to be here talking about lots of things, Warcry. Not all things, but lots of things. I've got our usual cast of suspects here, Jason and Dan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. What's up? And we have a special guest with us today. You may know him in the Discord channels as Armoire Enthusiast. He really loves closets. And uh, we're happy to have Mike Sansom all the way from Madison, Wisconsin here with us. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm excited. Fun to, fun to be in here. I'm bummed I won't be able to listen and not be, uh, I won't, won't be any surprises when I listen to this one after, but it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you really, are you really an enthusiast of closeted spaces? No. So it, yeah, that was, it's a, it's an old uh, Reddit name that I came up with literally just because I thought it was funny to imply that there were are more enthusiasts. I mean, zero through six. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the sevens for. That's I hilarious. To be the most obscure. <laughs> oh, good stuff. I'll be looking for those other six yeah. out there somewhere. If you, let me know. I'm trying to buy those names off them. I'm trying to move all the way up in the Armor Enthusiast catalog. Uh. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're excited to have you here today. Uh, we are going to be talking about a couple of things. We've got some news coming up. We've got, uh, we're going to be talking the uh, new Gorger pack from the uh, new box that is coming out and uh, breaking that down. I think Dan and I have some very significantly differing opinions about this which will be kind of interesting. And uh, then we're going to talk about something that we mentioned at the end of our last show, which was the idea of creating a community code of conduct as Warcry becomes, um, or, or let, let's say blossoms into its own in terms of a competitive space, right? And so uh, we're excited to sort of nail that down and open it up for the community to start thinking about what does a code of conduct look like for competitive events. But before we get into all of that, let's talk about what's on your hobby table. Jason, why don't you kick us off? What's on your hobby table? Uh, it's not much. <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of random paints scattered all over the places. I've been helping kids do their like school projects. So my my daughter needed a uh I, I did not do well in biology in school. So she's like, dad, help me understand the parts of a cell. I'm like, you got me. No idea. Right. Uh, but so I, I went online and printed off like an animal cell. Right. That has all the like, uh, I don't know, little like floaty things inside it. Mm -hmm. Scientific name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I printed it off on the 3d printer and then uh, I gave it to her and just like a bunch of paints and she sat there and painted it and turned it in for a school project. So that's kind of what I've been doing uh, on my hobby table. She got a, she got an A. So hey, so I have no idea what any of that stuff is, but you know, <laughs> she does. So my kids are at the point where they're like, dad, do you know about this? And I'm like, uh, nope. and they're like, but dad, you told us you knew everything. Yeah. I'm like, dang it. I told her that eight yeah, years no. ago. Now this is me. <laughs> hey, Dad, can you help me with chemistry? No, I can't help you with chemistry. <laughs> no, go ask mom. You know, I, I don't know anything about chemistry. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Dan Herrera, how was your hobby table? Good. I am almost done with an Ideneth Deepkin warband that... Mm. I had, I think I just started it, maybe just built it by the time uh, last month's pod came around. So now I'm almost done painting it. Um, 
I also painted a lot of little critters, like I painted Dune Claw and uh, the, the little spine fin fish, and I painted a little zinch pig um, to be, a, I don't know, maybe an iridescent horror someday. Uh, most of these were for a tournament that I ran called the uh, Gnarled Goose Chase, where people chased around little animals um, as part of the tiebreaker for the mission. It actually worked really well. Um, my problem with tournament quests, if anyone listening has been to an event, you forget your tournament quest every single time. That is part of the ritual of the event is uh, midway through round two, players learn that they should have chosen a tournament quest yeah. earlier in the game. And, uh, and so we tried having essentially three tournament quests that were live at all times for every game. And so essentially you just counted one, two, three, how many you got. Um, and, you know, one of them, only one of the two players could score it. And so it worked really well as a tiebreaker, I think. And, you know, some players sort of went all in just for scoring it. Um, the, uh, the two players who had the highest score, one had, or no, they both had 11 out of 12 possible points. They were both in mid tables instead of at the top table. So doing a separate like prize for, for the winner of just the most tiebreak points without their actual tournament stuff um turned out really well because it was a prize that wasn't going to the top players which was great so yeah really liked that um mike was actually at that tournament uh beat up some children and <laughs> then uh talked quite kid. a bit of shit to the kids sounds dad about right. sounds before about right. getting beat by the kid's dad so that was <laughs> that was pretty great to see <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Like, all right, yeah. let me teach you how this is done. It, yeah, it's yeah. And functionally then, uh, what I got the revenge for yeah. it. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I know Mike has a lot to talk about. So I want to um uh let's see. I have been working on a bunch of my models. I'm turned around looking at my hobby table. Um because here, I'm gonna grab it real quick. Um so one of the one of the things that I ended up doing over the last week was having fun with oil paints. And so I started painting some of my bigger models with oil. And um, so I'm going to take off this. So everybody can now see my hobby space right there that I have. Um, but um, so I did this Trogoth, uh in oil painting. And uh, you can see, like, I really like the way that his skin and back and everything came out. Um, and it was, like, effortless, you know. Um, I painted up this Fulmeroid Crusher. Um, and you can see, like, I really like the way his skin and stuff turned out. And the pigments in the, in the oils are very vibrant. Um, and that's something that I noticed, um, especially, like, and people who know me know how I feel about GW paints at this point, but like, especially like some of the GW um, paints, like their pigment isn't that great in some of their pots and some of it's intentional, right? They don't like, they want to have it like more translucent so you can kind of do layers and stuff like that. But with the oils, um, the blending is super easy. And um, I also did my Camara right here. Nice. Right. So 
Um, here's the wings and the body and the heads and all that. And so I got the four chaos gods represented there. I've got corn uh, in red, Zinch in blue, Slanesh in purple, and um, oh, and then Nurgle body. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So um, the and the great thing again about the oil paints that I have been doing is like um, this didn't. It doesn't take very long to get like those blends, and so the skin. To do like the formerly crusher skin, it took me like maybe like 30 minutes, like which is crazy because wow. I would have spent a lot of time trying to glaze and get the right blends and all that stuff. And with the oil paints, it's just so much easier. Now, you like there's definitely a learning curve to using oils. It's a very different. It's almost painting reductively in a sense. And um, you, know, it, you definitely use a much more um, sketching way of doing it so like i'll put my dark shadows in the dark shadows and then my highlights on the highlights and then i blend them together from there like it's not like i just do one giant base coat and then try to layer it on because then it starts to look a little muddy because um, everything is blending together kind of funny you know so uh but once you kind of figure it out it goes so fast so fast and uh, i was kind of surprised at, about it now would i paint some of my like little like um corvus cabal maybe in oil i've seen people do it like literally on youtube do that i don't know because there's like pretty fine details and oil kind of gets a little funny sometimes and so um i don't know but with these big big things like the camara the former crusher i'm going to be doing the um ogroid myrmidon here um later like those nice big kind of centerpiece models like i love doing these oils on it so um just because you get those very rich colors too so it's been fun it's been a, a, a nice change to kind of like the idea of like, okay, I got to batch paint these five, like, you know, or, or like batch paint this, this war band, you know, and just trying to crank it out or whatever. So it's been a lot of fun. Anyway. What oil paints my... are you using? Um, I've got the Windsor Newton um, artists oil paints. I got a, like a box of it at uh, Michael's for like $38. Yeah, you know, it's pretty easy to get a full set of oil paints too. Yeah, and the thing about oil paints that's interesting is that, like, I mean, if anybody's watched Bob Ross, which we all know we have, right? Like, you're looking at the paints and you're like, Phthalo blue, Cadmium yellow, Van Dyke brown. Like, I mean, it's all the same paints that you see, like that, like all of these other painters are using because that's the line of paints that oil. I mean, it's all the same pigment paint that they do now there's some variation between brands and stuff like that but you know when you get a thalo blue i know it's like a very dark blue that's almost like an indigo you know and and there's like a um uh, uh ultramarine yellow or ultramarine blue or something like that which i thought was like for ultramarines but i guess like you know even people outside of warhammer call blue ultramarine blue or something like that so you know yeah. kind of funny weirdly Ultramarines do not wear ultramarine blue. Ultramarine <laughs> blue is dark grayish purplish blue. And ultramarines wear cobalt blue, which is yeah. the funniest thing. Uh, <laughs> and maybe a little dumb. Or do they wear cobalt blue or royal blue? Now I'm I think they might wear royal, but either way, they, they yeah. do not wear ultramarine blue. Yeah, it's really funny. So anyway, but um I I have had a really good time painting it. I think that there's some if you guys are interested in looking at how to do oil paints because again it's so fast 
um, especially with your big stuff. Um, there's some great YouTube videos. Maybe I'll, I'll throw them in a link at the bottom that like I started with and had some great tips to, to get started. So anyway, but yeah, that was, that's been my hobby week. I've gotten a lot of the big models that have been sitting on my shelf literally for like a year or two years, like ready to be painted. And I just haven't gotten to them. So it's been kind of nice. Got those, those allies in the chimera ready to just terrorize the local scene now too. hundred percent. Here I come. <laughs> They keep asking me when we're going to do another event at Huzzah Hobbies. And now, well, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. You know? <laughs> yeah. All right, Mike, let's kick it over to you. Tell us about yeah. your hobby table. Yeah. So, um, like Dan said, I went up I went up to his tournament, and uh, I have an issue with not being able to play the same warband, really, ever, uh, and needing to start over from scratch and kit bash a whole bunch of stuff. So, um, let's see here. Uh, let me find out if I'm clicking on the right stuff. We're just going to click and see what happens. Mm, shoot, I can't find them in here window. Here we go. This is so as Dan described, this was uh this isn't the models. This is uh hobby technically not on a table but about to be put through a table. Um this was my uh you guys see that? What? <laughs> so so uh it'll make more sense in a moment but um this was this was after i had played my uh uh my littlest opponent opponent of the day um actually yeah no I'll, let me this was the kid <laughs> yes yeah this was uh this was uh eric locally um his his son came with us to play um i had uh heavily themed my war band to be Wait, did you did you wear that outfit like throughout the tournament amazing yeah, yeah. Gave up on I, the I adjusted a few... halfway through but the rest of it he wore the whole time knee pads it was hot all. it was yeah it was super hot that was <laughs> so yeah sorry this would make more sense now um my war band that i took was uh spire tyrants um yes. this is some of them so heavily kit bashed uh obviously but oh i made gosh. them all wrestling themed so uh stone cold was the leader so i was dressed as stone cold obviously um switched out the uh got a got a local guy to help me out uh 3d printed a chair i think that's the only 3d printed thing in the entire warband um i made the little belt out of green stuff and painted it again and this was uh all painted within like 12 hours before the tournament started again because oh I, I have planning issues <laughs> but um yeah so stone cold was the leader for the spire tyrants and then uh this is the uh one of the models that i didn't play as mm. the model from mm -hmm. spire tyrants but both of the guys on the left and the right were were best of gores um so we got undertaker over here uh you can't quite see it but he's yeah it's a shovel from i think it was from curse city that i switched the bits on um this hat was one of the the witch hunters switched them out on there too um and this is uh this is a throwback over uh on mankind that that club is from uh i trimmed that off for adepticon for one of the the trolls so i had that left over and thought it would look cool as a as a big uh kind of spike bat that mankind used to drag around he's got mr socko on his hand here um <laughs> dude this is insane <laughs> 
So, I mean, I thought your NBA Monster Jam one at Adepticon was great, but you've got like, you know, <laughs> like the WWF like wrestlers, which is fantastic. So yeah, that's that's there's a couple of them. I got the rest of them here too. Um, so I played uh, with uh, three netters. So here they are. We got, I didn't fit. I, the, the paint job again was rather rushed and not completed. So Hulk doesn't have his mustache, but I, I green stuffed this shirt on him. Oh, uh, it's really gosh. hard to green stuff a ripping shirt, it turns out. Um, big, big pain in the butt. Uh, we got Macho Man in the middle with his, uh, with his tassels hanging off there. Uh, Which are the Nets? That's so great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, so I, I tried. I tried to make them all seem some kind of netty way. That the shirt may be less convincing than the other two, but um, and then famous uh, Jack Black character Nacho Libre on the right side here. Nacho. <laughs> exactly. That's as he threw the net. It had had to be said every time. So, um, and then the one other one that I had, uh, I brought an Ogroid Myrmidon as the ally. Um, for oh, excited he better be the rock it's you know what he wasn't the rock was really hard conceptually to try to illustrate in a model i was like sure i can like paint an eyebrow on a muscular guy but is that going to look different so i decided to go with the big show um okay and i uh that made a made him a ladder out of the the red harvest box yeah uh, put those guys together gave him his classic onesie on there and uh this is the goblin king model from the lord of the rings set that gw does so it was a super fun war band to to come up <laughs> with and then like i said source all the bits and um yeah, yeah it was fun to play too and so yeah sorry that that Makes more sense now, right? When you get to see that why I'm carrying a child while I'm dressed as uh, it's, it's, an, Austin. <laughs> it's an interesting like confusion of immersion. Yeah, because I'm like yeah. I'm playing Warcry and I'm like I really feel a good strong theme with your war band, but I'm struggling to feel it in the nine realms. There, anything <laughs> you know? can happen, right? It gets yeah, crazy. I guess that's Magic. True. Just ooh. <laughs> <laughs> right. We meet in the center in the epic of the nine realms. <laughs> <laughs> I also There's, want to know what the Venn diagram of like '90s wrestling and Warcry is. Like, where does that meet? Like, who are those people that you know like yeah. enjoyed both? <laughs> like, maybe it's maybe it's more aligned than we think. You know, we're all like fighting with like blood tooth daggers, and all of a sudden a portal <laughs> opens, and you hear like chairs smashing on top of people's heads. And you know. it was really fun to like play narratively. Like, I mean, it was a competitive event, obviously, but like putting a narrative spin on like all the actions and stuff. At one point, I had like a like a quad six, so Rampage with Stone Cold, who's carrying the chair, like sprinted up like this uh, onto this platform, and then bashed the killer boss over the head with it. So it was it really made for fun, yeah, a descriptive play, which was a nice, blast. Good. I, how many did you have jump off of like a ledge and come top rope on I'm, some of these people? You know? I'm disappointed with myself. It never happened, unfortunately. It never came up in the game. And it should have because I should have just done it irrespective of if it was a good play or not. So. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. From Goals the top the rope. <laughs> um, I did. We also we also got a picture of, uh, again, after, um, after I'd been defeated uh, by – by the big boss that was uh, the kid's dad, who, who I ended up uh, playing against. This was uh, just after came at him with the chair. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
uh yeah so and that was it it was a super super fun event um like dan was talking about with the uh the animals and stuff like that it was a it was a really cool twist on it um and really easy to remember to not worry about forgetting your tournament quest you're like no i want i want to carry the magic pig that's it's for me not you <laughs> so chasing each other and beating each up over it um and then two more quick ones i have um for uh for october I've been working on, we just started uh, our next narrative league yesterday locally. Uh, and okay. I've been conceptualizing this war band for, uh, I don't know, like a year, I think I started doing it. Um, so I've been working on making, um, I'm calling them Shorucks. So uh, Iron Jaws that are all shark themed. So this is a pretty early, early oh, nice. thing, but yeah, I got one of like the, the ogre horns. Um, from the what is it the uh, stone horns i think and turn yeah. them into invert i didn't think about it and everybody pointed out that like oh it's, it's like moana basically and i was like oh yeah, yeah i guess it kind of is <laughs> um so i got him we're done i got leaving the rock out of your last war band what's exactly. that you're making up for leaving the rock out of your last war band oh for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i got him and then uh I got this guy green stuffed, um, turned him into turning him into a shark there. So yeah, it's oh, just wow. oh yeah, yeah, that's good. Just messing around with them, having a good time. I got I got lots more ideas to come up with for that one, but first couple of pieces are in place. So just having a having a blast, the usual mischief and chaos <laughs> putting it's stuff like on that models. Old SNL show like Land Shark. <laughs> You remember that skit? Yeah. No? Like, knock, yeah. knock. Like, who is it? I heard you deliver a pizza. You better not be that land shark. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking street sharks, too, the the old cartoon. Again, turns out I only have 90s, like, ideas, basically. It's just bring them <laughs> up, cycle them into my war bands. But, yeah, messing around with the street shark uh, cartoon that was around for a while, too. Interesting. Well, that's... um. That is uh, pretty. Um, I like. I I wish that I were creative enough to do that kind of stuff. I find myself like thinking about stuff and being like, eh, like I don't know. I don't know if I'm lazy about it or um, like or what. But I know that uh, like modding stuff. Like I'm just not like that good with it. You know, it takes. So. It's like it takes me a long time. Like I really plan them out a lot. And like part of the like the most fun for me, I think, is actually like doing the conversion and like coming up with the conversion um like yeah. getting like a prototype and then or like 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 mocking it up basically and then uh once it comes time to like cut and green stuff i'm just like oh now i'm really nervous and i don't want to do this part because I, I liked it better in my head but um yeah it's it, it's it's work but and if you don't enjoy that part of it then there's no point in doing it but yeah that's that's the part that i really get excited about yeah um yeah, definitely. I think uh, I think that those are um, uh, like you, you've 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 obviously shown us that you've got like a lot of great <laughs> great ideas, my friend. Because I, you know, I, I was super impressed with again the Monster Jam, you know, that you had at Adepticon, and um, I I hope that you bring this to another event so I can see them in person, even if you're not playing them. You know, I'll, I'll bring so. them just for you for Adepticon. Keep them in the box just yeah. so you can stare at them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I'll play a narrative actually. That'll be perfect. I'll go. play him in the narrative day. Yeah, for sure. Um awesome. Well, uh well, lots of hobbying going on. Uh except for well, I guess Jason's doing his cell stuff. So yeah, that's cool. Um I'm hobbying with but, my kids. Uh, 
Yeah, exactly. Oh, those kids. Um, Don't discredit me okay. for being a dad. <laughs> Let's talk about some news. Let's talk okay. about some news. And I'm going to take this back to the 1st of October. And let me present this here. Um, I'm going to take this back to the 1st of October when they did the Sunday preview. A rabble of war bands are heading to the mortal realm near you. So this was kind of like a joint war cry war hammer underworlds thing and um i'm going to skip over the underworld stuff right now even though we'll probably see those come back um obviously they announced the hunter and hunted box that came out um that has the uh ogre gorgers and the wild core hunters i think for the most part from the community that i saw like was love it reaction i mean most everybody i saw was like this is an auto buy for me i know i felt that way when I saw this, like, I just love the models. Who doesn't love good doggos that, you know, are going to be the best of the goodest of boys out there, you know? And um, I remember when they kind of teased these before saying, I don't care if their rules suck. I love the models so much. I'm going to totally get them, you know? And I, I totally did. I, I pre-ordered it because, you know, that's what that's what you do. Now uh, we are going to talk about the ogre gorgers today. We'll probably talk about the wild core hunters next time. But the thing that I wanted to bring up here, because um, we didn't get a chance to talk about this at the last one, is uh, is there something missing with this box here? Like, what is the thing that is missing here? And I'll show you. I'm going to scroll down. Nope, it's not these other two war bands. Even though that would be nice. Ah, there it is. It's the terrain. They forgot to put the terrain in the box. And I know a bunch of people were saying, hey, like, oh, it's okay. Like, that way I can choose to buy the terrain if I want to, or I can choose to not buy it if I want to. Um, my take on this is that this was GW's way at a cash grab. Like, this is their way of sticking it to Warcry players who love to collect everything that they can and get a lot more money out of this box that is not worth, wasn't already worth the price point of probably $200 that they were going to sell it at. Because I think that the terrain's pretty weak in here. Well, how, mu how much is the Hunter and Hunted? 130 130 Yeah, I mean, yeah. so that's, that's like, that's like $65 per warband, which is not yeah. untypical today. So right. I actually but, think it's priced reasonably because you also get a, a book and you get that funny terrain piece. Okay. All right. I think so this is priced that better book, than the previous boxes. Yeah, were. I agree. Okay. So that part, I did. I don't disagree. I think the Hunter and Hunted is great. How much is this terrain box, separate terrain box, though? 112 for this guy. $112 yeah, for this. Be a lot. Like, that's ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, if you had combined those two together, that is, uh, let's see, it was a hundred. What, what, what was the hundred and hundred box? Did one thirty? Yeah, mm -hmm. plus one hundred and twelve. So you're talking two hundred fifty dollars almost mm -hmm. for a box that should be priced at one ninety nine. In all reality, in yeah. my opinion, I don't quite understand the terrain. Anyways, it's first of all, it's more gnarlwood, and like I'm good with gnarlwood now. I know they're <laughs> mixing in this jade stuff, but there's. There's three pieces that have elevation, and the rest are just scatter terrain. Yeah, it looks like yeah. there's two scatter sprues in there, and then they've got like the the one on the left is like the the old Narlok, uh, yeah. which is kind of the they released the rules for free this week. Um, that one like you could just knock stuff off basically out of nowhere, which is kind of interesting. Um, the board is not on here. It is actually kind of cool. It's like a double swamp board, um, and it actually has like. Mm. 
mechanics built in and like baked into the board the, has mechanics um, interesting mm -hmm. yeah it's a, it's printed printed on there and so like if you're holding I, I can't remember my, i skimmed over them the other day but um it actually matters and then so like the centerpiece there the kind of archway bit um that can basically turn a turn the swamps on or off to to do different things um and then the very top middle piece that one you can use it i think it's like a double and you can like make one of your abilities like six or ch change the value of an ability or something like that so um they it's got some interesting rules to it um from a value side though like i mean as, as someone that buys it anyway like i'm not excited because it's gonna be more but like i i get it from the standpoint that like it's it's easier to pick and choose from, for some people, and you're not going to have to buy duplicate sprues. However, the value is decreased within each individual product for what you're getting for that price. Mm -hmm. um, but also, like the card, the terrain cards came out, and the the mall pit is actually on the same uh, cards as this terrain is. So, I my my interpretation of, the, of it was maybe they saw sales not going so well with Heart of Gur, which is kind of a lot yep. of the, the the jib jab that we've been hearing about with it um and so they kind of pivoted and just started printing different boxes for us split it up to try to make it a little more appealing and again we're not we don't have to buy the same box of terrain yeah. the same yeah. three trees at least but good and bad depending on your perspective i, I so mean, the average player I, had just yeah, given ahead. up on those boxes on those like full terrain board boxes most players had just totally given up um so i think they had to get away from it yeah. Uh, whether this is what you wanted or not is separate, but yeah. Well, no, I 100% I agree with everything that you guys said. First off, like I said, the Hunter and Hunted box, I think is priced right. You know what I mean? I think I think the the, the cost with the book and the Moppet and the and the two war bands, I, like, I, I didn't balk at that price at all. Um, I just don't think they're going to sell this terrain for $112. Like... You know, you compare it know. to like the old Ravage Lands that the, it would, and yeah. it's a Ravage Land as well. Those were I think ninety MSRP, yeah. and this one's one twelve. So that kind of lines up with like compared to the last time they released one. That's probably right in line with like the the hikes they've had every year for like what the here's our hand wave twelve percent twenty percent kind of thing. Um, but again, yeah, you got to You got to be excited about it, right? And I, it's just funny because you what you look at it. Where where do they have a picture of it on the table? Hold on. It might not be this one. I thought I they had like the... they had the dwarf, a picture of the dwarves all over it. It's uh this there's there there's that right. Oh, never mind. You can kind of get a scale of like what these are, right? Like one model fits basically on those types of things. But I think um there was a picture. No, I didn't see it. There was a picture of like it all set up on the table and it looked pretty sparse to me. You know what I mean, and it's just—it's unfortunate because you know that first Warcry box was is so universally praised about how amazing it was, you know, and the value that you got from it. I remember when I got it in the mail, like it was like hefting it from my front porch, and now like these ones, I'm just like, oh, okay, like rattling it around like it's Christmas morning. Like, what's what's actually in here, you know? Yeah. But um, anyway. I like yeah. that they split it up because I'm not interested in the train. So now I can just get the war bands. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so, so that'll be interesting. And I wonder if, if the terrain's even going to sell that well, do you know what I mean? Like I, I'm kind of curious. And if it doesn't, does that affect what kind of terrain releases we're going to get for Warcry in the future? You know, which is unfortunate because I think terrain is such a big, important part of Warcry, you know? So, yeah. Way more than Age of Sigmar, you know. So, 
I'm curious if they're going to do the solo release for or a solo release for the the Maupit as well, just because mm -hmm. it's obviously got a lot of play. Like I think they said that you can just use it as a proxy for the the Maupot. It's um, on the same footprint. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. I saw it yesterday. The thing is massive. <laughs> I like. I was kind of amazed. <laughs> like it is. I mean, it's a it's a full sprue that you're getting. Um, obviously, the size. You know, it's kind of like an underworld size box. But like, yeah, you can use it as a proxy for the ogre Maupot. Mm -hmm. yeah they know. said it was on the same footprint i haven't i haven't seen the two of them put That's like cool. next to each other but yeah. they said it was on the same footprint yeah i i haven't seen a mop pot in person i would i would wager that this one f at least feels bigger whether it is actually really? bigger or not it certainly feels larger it does like, for I, sure it like yeah. i wanted to get a whole board of them and then I, when i saw last night i looked at it on the board like i wanted to do five of them to make like a cool board of push everybody in pits uh and i was like i don't know if that's gonna fit on an entire board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right exactly some of those aos uh, terrain pieces are huge though like mm -hmm. the, yeah. the gloom spite moon is just massive it's massive yeah, they're great to they're great to mock up uh, Warcry terrain with. Just stick some platforms on there, and you got a playable <laughs> piece of scenery. Super yeah, with the moon with a platform would be pretty cool. Yeah, and the uh, like it. the corn the corn altar makes a great mm -hmm. Warcry piece yeah, yeah. too. For sure. Yep. Um, so obviously they're also previewing the Cruel Boys Monster Killers, which we talked about on previous shows, as well as the Flame Seekers. I think it's funny that both of these are all about the eggs. Do you know what I mean? Like these guys are stealing them and these guys are trying to protect them, you know? So I can't wait to get that box. <laughs> for, Maybe for yeah. they're coming it? separate, unfortunately, but yeah. man, I wish that we'd gotten like a, you know, the Easter egg battle <laughs> of Gur, <laughs> and we'd gotten maybe the, um, what is it? The fire slayers have, they have the pizza oven, right? If we'd yeah. gotten like a Gur themed pizza oven to go with like an all egg, <laughs> battle oh man it would have been great <laughs> um so so one thing that i wanted to touch on i had this is really funny because i had put out in our war cry channel on our uh, tabletop and beyond discord the idea of a universal shove ability because i don't <laughs> feel like you get enough like play in terms of like getting people off of platforms like a lot of times you get somebody up on a platform and they're just stuck there because you have to roll a one on an attack and then they fall off, you know? And so I love the idea of like maybe being able to like just go up and shove somebody. And we were like going through on our, on, in the chat of like, well, how do you like make this work? Like, you know, do you, do you, um, you know, use your strength? Do you use this other stuff? Well, in this uh, Hungry Gorger Mob Pack, uh, you know, here's how the Hungry Gorger Mob Pack stacks up against the Wildcorn Warcry article. Uh, they had an interesting little bit here that was about, um, uh, where is it? It's down here. That was talking about the Mob Packs, right? And how you can push people into the Mob Pack uh, right here. Ability, triple, get in the pit. After the next melee attack action made by this fighter um, in this activation that targets a fighter with a lower wounds characteristic that is on a skull platform or within one inch horizontally of the maw, roll a dice and add the strength characteristic of that attack action to the result. If the result is eight plus, the target is taken down. So what's interesting is I think they gave us a bit of a template here on how you can shove, right? I don't think you take this whole ability wholesale 
because this is obviously very like uh, specific to the gorgers. But I, I like the idea of being able to approach a model, use an ability, whether it's a double or triple, like whatever you want to figure that out to be. But you add your strength characteristic to uh, a dice roll. And if it's like an eight plus, you can do it. So, you know, like a little goblin trying to push a big old honking ogre, like they only have a strength of two. So it's probably not going to happen. But you know what? You never know. You might roll that six and it happens. Uh, you got to have that. It has to be a lower wounds characteristic, though. So a little goblin oh, so can never do it to a big guy. This is where this is where I'm saying I think this is because it's a gore, like this is a gorger ability. You take that part out. I think that they've oh, given okay. us a gotcha. little this, bit of a this is an auto I think they've too. given us a little like bit they're... of a like a an ability to play with this a little bit to give a universal shove ability that you can get you can dislodge treasure carriers from you know uh, platforms or you know get people out of objective areas or whatever um, you know. But it's on a dice roll. It's an ability. I think I think it'd be kind of interesting. So, my uh, only issue, because I do love these abilities, like in concept, in narrative, but I don't love discouraging players from getting close to the terrain. Uh, I want, like, I want to be taking pics of my guys fighting other people's guys on the terrain. I don't want reasons to stay away from it. I want reasons to get on it. Um, just a just a minor nitpick. I think in general with the Gert terrain, they've done like pretty well with that. For example, that big vertebra piece that they've got like rewards you for getting inside the creepy little crawl space in there. <laughs> or um, there's that big like skull on top of a tree where if you get onto it in round one, you can actually call someone in early, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. which is like really powerful if if you can do it, if you're fast enough if to do, do it. it. Yeah. So I really like, I prefer it when they encourage you to get on the terrain compared to when they encourage you to stay away from it. When I think Justin, your idea wasn't necessarily strictly just pushing stuff off terrain, right. but a general kind of shove, right? So even if you're just yeah. standing on the uh, like flat on the battlefield, just being more, more being able to influence where other models are positioned, like enemy models are positioned. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree, Dave. Yeah, no, it's it's so much more fun when you got models that are climbing up on stuff, and much more interesting to look at when you're when you're playing. A yeah, game. for sure. There's a so, there's a reaction with this as well uh, that came out with all of the kind of the reviews as people were talking about if you're um, if someone attacks you and all of the attacks miss uh, then they fall into the pit but if they hit you at all then you fall into the pit oh. which is phenomenal <laughs> it's like just a all risk all reward kind of thing but there, yeah, there's so many cool ideas with it then like if you're standing on like the little the little skull at the top at the end of a narrative game you get like an extra you get to add to your uh role for renown because you're the hero obviously so they okay. themed it super well it's got some really really nice. fun mechanics around it that's awesome that's awesome. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to this book coming out. Um, obviously, we're going to be looking forward to the Fire um, Slayers and Cruel Boys war bands that are coming out as well. Uh, but the last thing that I wanted to touch on was that all of these um, war bands, Underworld war bands, are getting rules. And we've been waiting for this for a while because uh, there's a lot in here. There's like the there's the uh, Witch Hunters. There's... Um, uh, the pirate, uh, piratey ogres with the, you know, the monkey and the knife in the tail, you know, people were just like, like 
totally waiting for these rules to come out. And it seemed like every other day in the chat, sometimes like, Hey, do these have rules? When are they coming out? And, you know, so uh, we're looking forward to them um, coming, coming out a little bit more. So that'll be really good. Um, yeah. So, um, well, I, so some of them don't, ha- some of them already have rules. Like Xanderius mm-hmm. has rules, right. Um, for it, but they're coming out as standalone without like all of the extra underworld stuff. So you can buy some of the ones that already have um, rules as separate war bands themselves. Um, obviously they probably don't add up to a thousand points. So they're just supplements to a war band, but uh, it'll be nice to get them on their own and, you know, play them in Warcry as well. And yeah. hopefully, hopefully having the models available means that we're, we're finally going to get those nether maze rules, get the, we got, I mean, we got rules for dogs now, but you know, they, we got, we need gore Hulk, gore Hulk rules. I know the rat people are, are fiending to get the, uh, was it the claw pack rules yeah. um, and, and potentially an expansion for canine shadow stalkers so they can have more bad models to use. What a selection <laughs> they could have. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see it too. I uh, heard a horrifying theory that, you know, Underworlds and Warcry is essentially to sell off uh, some of the, you know, sprues before they go bad, essentially, or sprues that yeah. need help. And apparently Nether Maze sold too well, so they're just not, they don't have extras that mm. they need to sell, oh, so they have no reason to put it in Warcry. Um, and so that's the horrifying rumor that I've heard, but I don't know if it's true. Uh, either way, I don't... <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever get those nether maze rules. They're coming. Don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> what what does that mean about what does that mean for Curse City when they tried to sell the models from Curse City into Warcry? Yeah. And then well, they tried to sell the Curse City boxes without models for the price that you would pay. I know. Pay for having the dude. Let's. Not a word. <laughs> they can't all be bangers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we hope that some of them could be right bangers we'll take um, some bangers at least yeah, we'll take some we'll take bangers some. and mash yeah so a uh, lot of good stuff coming out though you know I, I i will say this though with with those war bands coming out with their rules as standalone as well um i think it has dashed any hope of getting a tome of champions in november december Right. I think there's some people that were really had their fingers crossed and hoping that like, oh, well, we haven't gotten the rule like the rules for some of these ones yet. And that's because they'll come out in a new Tome of Champions and like with the you know new Cities of Sigmar and Orc models that have like been coming out and stuff like that. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Like, <laughs> I think I think at this point that hope is dashed. There's a slim chance we get a spring Tome of Champions, sort of like how we got it for like, what was it, the 2021-2022 one that came out in spring versus, uh, you know, the fall or December. It almost uh, still was February, though. It was still yeah. pretty, like the 2021 that came out in 22, I yeah. think, in February. So I think there's a slim, and when I'm saying slim, like 99.3% chance that it's not coming out in that time, you know, like, so a 0.7% percent chance that it's happening you know so you're so you're telling me there's a chance you know <laughs> so I, I i think there's a slim chance there and if not we're talking about probably warcry 3.0 like in the summertime or something like that where we see updated rules and points and and things like that for all of these so yeah 
that's that's my that, that having seen that with the war bands right here, you know, getting their rules like that, I think like killed a lot of people's hopes, some people's hopes anyway, about getting Atoma champions in the fall. So, anyway, yeah, good news, good news, guys. We got you know a lot of good stuff to talk about. So let's talk about right now. Um. The let's talk about the Gorger, uh, the Gorger mob pack, and I'm gonna share this right here. Okay, so here's our five fighters. This is a great opportunity for us to really dive into every single fighter of a of a warband. Dan kind of hates it when we do that with uh, some of our warbands, but I think we've got the liberty to talk about them here, Dan, since there's only five of them. Like. <laughs> We can zoom in on this pick, right? Or else yeah, uh, we've got some war crier options too. Um, let me. Oh, hold on. I'm gonna. I'm gonna save this image and open it up a little bit bigger. And let's let the uh, person who's most excited about them talk. Who Who thinks that they are the one most excited about them? While Justin's uh, picking up. picking that up. Jason, I think you almost fell out of your chair there. Did you <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I like them a lot. I love the models. I love the mm. models. Of course, we have had horrific Gorger models forever. So we finally get some. What's interesting is we finally get Gorger models that look very similar to all the 3D proxies that you've been buying off of Thingiverse Weird. and other, you know, other places. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know, but, you know. It, you know this, is like, this, is like, this is like Apple instituting the, the, the facial recognition after right. Samsung did it, and they're like, hey, I did that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, hey. <laughs> There's a dude in my LGS who plays Warcry with a year-old Seraphon proxy models, and you cannot tell the difference between the current GW ones that came out six months ago and his year-old awesome. ones. It's really funny. That's yeah, awesome. these are great sculpts. I think. I yeah, like uh, I think all the big. two biggest ones are are really incredible. I've. Uh, I don't like the face of the leader, but the body is really amazing. I think uh, the howler is really cool. Um, the little ones look like they're supposed to be flesh eater courts. When you say little, <laughs> uh, the uh, the babies. Yeah, I see. I see where you're going. From. Yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They look like they're supposed to be flesh eater courts, but. Um, but like excellent flesh eater courts, you know. So I'm I'm not upset about it. I'm just yeah yeah, a little bit. I of like the there, but I they're like really the good. Kind of orky jaw that they have. Like this guy right here looks like a um, logging like mega boss kind. Well, of, the two right? rows of teeth. How do you like the two rows of teeth on the lower jaw? Yeah, it's so great. It's very oh, good. Man. I find it's it a just... little bit like it's more disturbing that way. It's like. I feel like it's weirdly less intimidating than if they just had like effective teeth, you know, like alligator teeth or something. Mm -hmm. um, like I find, I find the teeth on the, on some of the Seraphon models to be more intimidating than these, but it does like up the disgust factor. And that's, I think a big part of what they're going for here. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And these ones all look kind of rounded as well, implying that they have been gorging themselves on, on things that are perhaps not typically gorged upon by your average folks or really blunted off those teeth. And so yep. maybe maybe it's more intimidating, but you really have to think about why it's intimidating, which defeats the purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or with how with that toughness three, they won't be gorging for much longer. But <laughs> we can get into Ouch. that later. Ouch. Low blow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the leader who you love so much, Dan. Um, what uh, what do you like about him? I just think, you know, the bigger the model, the more that charge ability that they've got. Um, they don't call it charge. They call it something else. I think they call it uh, bounding leap. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they still, it's the exact same as charge. If there's a visible enemy fighter within six inches of them, they make a bonus move. Must finish closer to the closest visible enemy than they were at the start of that move. You can use it all kinds of ways. The faster you are, the better it is. Um, and that move five plus like a big chunky chassis to... Uh, to push around that battlefield. I just think bounding leaps on that leader is going to be so impactful. It's going to be excellent. Um, I'm pretty low on this warband in general, but I think that leader with that bounding leaps ability is going to be like, even once you fail to make this warband work on the table, you'll be playing that leader for years uh, because the leader is excellent. Um, I just think, yeah, just accelerating that body around the board is going to, is going to feel good every single time. So this leader also has the ability to add one to the damage of its hits and critical hits for a double. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm just going to want people to take some duct tape and just like put it over most of that, you know, most of (laughs) that card over there so that you don't accidentally trick yourself into reading anything that's below glimmer of consciousness. (laughs) And uh, and then you're going to be in a good spot. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. So. But the top two, those top two abilities are good. I mean, the second one is not good. It's like covering for a horrible drawback you've got, but it's like very necessary, and it's going to be what it's makes necessary. it work. But yeah. uh, but that top ability obviously is incredible. So that's just what I'm excited about is that leader with bounding leaps. I think is going to be huge. I do. I, like I do kind of like this triple of Madden blows. It reminds me of the um, triple chilled touch from the spirit host and night hunt. Right. Mm-hmm. And for that, for night hunt, that, that uh, um, was it chill touch or frightening touch one of anyway. Um, but basically, you know, it lets you have a um, it. Well, that treats all your hits as critical hits. This one only gives you critical hits on fives. Right. It only gives you so, hits on fives on someone who only has two swings anyways. Yeah. 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 You got it. So the only so, way to make that useful is to spend another ability dice with a Bruget to give him more. Mm-hmm. I think then it's oh, really wait, good, they but have to bring you, know, you could do better. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and he's already toughness. He, he's already strength six and he's four eight. So it's, I think yeah. it's kind of a waste, in my opinion. He, he's I mean, already he's already hitting on threes. Yeah. He's already yeah. hitting on threes on like almost everyone, and he's doing a four eight damage profile anyways. You might as well just use onslaught and give him another dice roll. Look, yeah, I, I agree would, with Jason. Yeah, and that onslaught's yeah. going to give you more damage than because turning a 
turning a four into an eight, you are already going to get a hit anyway with the onslaught, probably. You'll get another onslaught if you're attacking twice. I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, onslaught's better, for sure. And it onslaught's a double, not a triple. Yep. Yeah. You know? If you so. bless those guys, which is kind of, I think, the only way that they have Blessing. to play, like throw the throw the 30 points on them to make them three attacks, six strength, four, eight damage. Mm-hmm. It's, it starts to become more relevant. You brew get that. That's terrifying. All of a sudden, some big stuff is disappearing in a hurry. Um, yeah. And the, again, the two inch range, it's like you're paying a lot for it on those guys. But I, I think you build around it, it sometimes can be good. Um, it's it's expensive, though, because you're paying, what, 215 for a model that's swinging three times. That, um, yeah, I mean, it's killing stuff, but three attacks versus four attacks, you really feel the difference on those two. Um, so, yeah, I, if you're doing you know, that. You're probably cutting the 220 point model to replace with this guy with a plus one attack ability. And then you're mm-hmm. going, or maybe you're just paying for it by going Brugit, Bogolai, and then cutting one of the other Gorgers. And then you've got 40 points left to play with, and that's how you upgrade it. But either way, I mean, the, the opportunity cost is the, uh, the hair model. And I guess uh, I'm not sure on the map. Well, with a Brugit in play, this guy getting plus one attack is better. But without the Brugit, I'm not sure on the math on which one's better. So um, this guy right here, who's doing the Avenger pose, right? Um, <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. That's good. Mars set, go! <laughs> going to have to yeah, green stuff so... some hair on him and make him Thor now. This is going to be my Avengers Warband, I think. Oh, yes, I love it. I love it. Appreciate Tell the inspiration. Tell me the hair one up here is Black Widow. It has to be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Have you seen that Black Widow movie where uh, her protege is just making fun of her for doing the pose all the time? (laughs) And then finally, late in the movie, her protege does the pose. And it's like, oh, that does feel pretty good. Exactly. So so this guy who's doing the Avenger pose, um, here's the thing. 175. Three attack, strength five, three six damage, toughness three. He is a savage big boss, but he has an extra point of movement and he has five more wounds. So, yeah. I mean, for the same price, too. Yeah. For the so same getting, price. So he's yeah, getting the beast discount. So I don't, I don't think he's a bad deal. The downside is that pesky beast rune mark. You know, I mean, like that does suck, um, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not terrible. I'm not totally down on these guys. Um, I, I would you like can to mitigate see them on the, the table. Beast rune mark by never playing on the OG terrain where there's doors everywhere. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can mitigate it by tricking your opponents into never playing with treasure missions. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, like that is that is the thing, right? Because you're gonna have to use like glimmer every time to do or anything, you, right? Well, trick, it's... trick it into not playing more than like three of these guys or two, two beast rune mark ogres and bringing, bringing friends bladeborn and that kind of stuff in. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess this is where I'll get my rant in. It's like, okay, so these guys are going to be great on certain kill missions, like, yeah. you know, Reaper and things like that, or, you know, my, my hunting missions, stuff like that, but you're not going to be able to win any objective missions. And they also on treasure missions, most treasure missions have a bunch of treasures and these guys are really only going to be able to fight over maybe two per turn. Um, 
and it's just like you have outs but you need so much to go right and you need your opponent to walk into all of your traps um which is it's not like you can never win but man it's going to be tough and so when you yeah when you have a warband that can only function in like one type of mission that's just a tough place to be to win treasure um, missions, you've got to kill all the opponent's treasure carriers. That's, that's I mean, that's what they're that's what they have to do because they they're not going to win it on a you know holding treasure type of thing. Well, it's the same with objectives, kill. right? You just got to. It's the same with the take the body count down. But now, that's what the bounding leap anyway. helps. Yeah, the the bounding leap helps a lot. Like if they can bound into a cluster of guys um that are like around an objective dan you're shaking your head but i i honestly it's not like, gonna work man because you're bounding leaping and your fight your strongest fighters aren't even as strong as their strongest fighters because your biggest guy is 235 points what are you gonna do if the other person has a fomo crusher like what are you gonna do if they have a fomo crusher and a bunch of cheap guys like you're just they're gonna kill your guys faster than the, you kill their guys and they have more guys than you like it's it's the worst of both worlds is just that's where I'm at with like, if we're getting competitive with them now, I would rather talk about how sweet they look and like how hilarious, you know, <laughs> they have some that is. The narrative uh, fluff yeah. for them. The leader has a heroic trait that lets him pick up as many treasures as he wants and not have to slow down with them, which is amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And I think, okay. I think there's uh, either artifacts or a trait or it, it'd be artifacts that you can give the guys to just dump the beast room. Or, oh, it's, it's a collar. So they're like, they kind of domesticate them so that they can <laughs> get rid of the beast. It's amazing. Yeah. The fluff That's is. Awesome. I'm excited to get to read the whole book. I, again, I've seen some stuff on it, and it looks amazing. Yeah, for, for fun play, these guys are going to be super fun for sure. <laughs> See, I I'm think, here for that. <laughs> I think, Dan, if you put this in the hands of somebody who has practiced with them, understands their pitfalls, knows where their weaknesses are and how to mitigate for that, right? Like, you put this in the hands of a good player, um, straight out of the box, just like this, I bet they could go two and two at a four game tournament. Uh, they might be able might be able to push a three one. I mean, I've seen good players go two to two and two with cipher lords. Like, yes, yeah. a good player who knows their warband can go can do really well with yeah. bad warbands. But like, you cannot win against another good player with this warband unless you get to be on a kill mission against them you is know this, like if you yeah is if you get to be on reaper against yeah. them or something then you can do it but you've this, you've got to get this so warband lucky. will not beat peter american cabbage's like gets list it will not <laughs> on any mission fun not fact. even kill mission yeah, on I mean, any mission you... <laughs> yeah. fun it's fact uh, peter is uh currently messing with these guys we a couple of us are talking about the, the new war bands and this is the one that peter is excited to try out so hopefully uh hopefully for the november yeah. uh tabletop league he might be joining and, and bringing some big uh big gorger boy <laughs> so we'll, well find out be... we'll find out what it'll the skill be... level yeah, can take them too. <laughs> it's going to be interesting because, like the the advantage that he had with his gets list is that he had cheap chaff that he could ally in some some heavy hitters and 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 all the um like uh, the brew gets and stuff like that for free, yeah. not taking up an ally spot, right? Like that's the advantage of the gets. He's he doesn't have any cheap chaff in this one. Yeah, the only way to get know? chaff is so. to ally the chaff in. Yeah, you ally your brew get in your. And yeah. your Bogolai. I, I, something that I think is going to be fun to play with this is these guys all have beast rune marks. I want to play them with an Icebrow Hunter. 
Mm-hmm. On a double, you can make anything That's with fun. four inches with a beast room mark get a free attack. Mm-hmm. So I actually, I've got a funny list going where I've got an ice brow hunter, like three of these gorger models and two brugets. So buff the puppies up and have them run around with the hunter and the hunter gives them a free swing. And then they're going just, you know, bananas with their mm-hmm. sticks and things. But at the end of the day, That's it's still fun. just a, a killy mish, a killy group. But I think it could be I fun. Do that. play off the beast rune mark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hrothgorn can do that too. He's a, the same as the ice brow hunter. He's got yeah. that double for it. Yeah. Um, and Hrothgorn can then bring in some cheap chaff for yep. them too. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. But there's also, um, there's, I think I did a quick search. There's only like three heroes that um, have that kind of thing in destruction that can 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 make somebody with a beast remark do something, right? Um, yeah, chaos is a lot better at that. Yeah, and so that's the other thing is these are destructions, so you're limited to to how you mix and match the soup only in destruction for that, right? And that, that's kind of my other problem with these is that because all these besides the leader all of the rest of them can't be allied into anyone else's list so you have to build into this list and you only have a couple options uh, to do that with it to get you you know kind of a a strong competitive list with you know an appropriate amount of chaff um there but I think it's going to be fun to play with but like I'm kind of in your court Dan it's going to take a long time for someone to build a a list around this that makes it be able to win and maybe not out of the box the way it is today yeah i don't i don't think a single box is going to be terribly good to be honest i think you're in a really rough spot with four yeah. of your five it's going to be fun like round one and round two where you feel like you're bouncing all over the place and swing and then you're going to realize i can't get any victory points mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I turned around with bringing Manok in with these guys, um, the Cruel Boys one, because you get, and then bringing in uh, Bogolai, so you can have two nets in there, yeah. uh, and you add. So basically, I, I think the list was the leader, two of the long handle guys that are blessed, um, Manok, who's another two inch. You know, you got good range on him, and then uh, you bring Shank, and then then the Bogolai. So you got two nets that can kind of help you pick where you want to make your fights happen a little bit. Again, still. S- Six models, right? There's a lot of, and I'm, I'm happy to get weird with blessings and stuff like that. And I'm very comfortable playing with very low model counts. Um, but I think a lot of people are not going to enjoy that play yeah. style, especially once your 35 wounds leader with three toughness is lifted round three. And you're like, oh, that's a lot of my damage potential gone. Well, and and honestly, a, a big Achilles heel for them is going to be like the Soul Blight Gravelord, you know, skelly mm-hmm. list where it's like, yeah, sure, they can kill a skeleton in one swing, but there's like 20 of them. Mm-hmm. So it's like good luck chewing through that many skeletons, you know. And they, they didn't rounds. get the double for the uh, the killer move on um, uh, or the attack or move on a kill, which I was yeah. really surprised by. I was surprised by that yeah. too. So And skeletons can do a really dirty thing to charge where they come up, they're not within one of you, so you can't attack them, but then your charge can't move because they're one and a quarter from you. And they've got the bodies and the shambling hordes to go out and do it. And then so you can't actually charge anywhere because there's a skeleton one and a quarter from you. So you have to be closer than one and a quarter mm-hmm. to the model you're charging. And so it like completely kills charge. Um, and so clever soul blight players can do real dirty stuff. Like, you know, they can resurrect something within one and a quarter from you. They can they can do all this stuff, you know, they can get there with shambling horde and uh 
and basically completely neuter anyone who's trying to move around the board with you know what i do think is one yeah. of the best abilities in the game bounding leaves charge uh hungry for flesh sadistic maybe not so they're uh slaves to impulse mm -hmm. right like all yeah. the all the groups that have it it's one of the best abilities in the game but For um, sure. some factions can like completely neuter it so that it's almost mm -hmm. like it's not even there um yeah so that is you know another thing that can happen in competitive play against some of those crafty european uh swarm players that luckily we don't have to play in the states <laughs> i do like their reaction I think it's a better reaction than the base ogre reaction. Yeah, I agree oh, with that. So that reaction, which it, it's not showing here, but that reaction is uh, very similar to the, um, what is it, gladiatorial display with the um, Daughters of Cain. They have uh, except Daughters of Cain. Yeah, they do it on a four. They do four damage and not six. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the only difference. Um, like you have to roll, and if you don't roll a crit, then you know you the the player the attacking player takes four damage. Yeah. Or six. Again, from narrative, like that's going to be wild. Yeah. Like they're just pumped as soon as you get three renown on something. It's going to be it's going to be crazy to see. You know, uh, when and you straight out of the box, if you're just playing a fun little game, somebody sends their dog into you. That dog that's got, I think they've got two attacks. Uh, they've got a, you know, you go, go ahead, try and do it. No, I'm going to react. There's six yeah. damage. Your dog yeah. is dead. So, yeah. Yeah. To just lift the models in a hurry. With I mean, six damage is a lot, especially like if you think about like, you know, a Stormcast Eternals guy mm -hmm. that may only have three attacks or something like that. You know, the chances of them getting a, a six is like not that high, you know? And so... Mm -hmm. You know, you could you could potentially do. I mean, but does that would it be better if you just swung back at them? You know, I mean, for some of well, these guys, absolutely. In a more know, in so. like a non-narrative setting, I think it's a very very situational where yeah. you're gonna be attacking the thing anyway, and it's gonna double attack you if you don't counter it or if you don't get that kill on the first action. So again, very very limited like use for it, but. Um, I think the leader is just a cool side grade though for it's it's another another vegetable in the destruction soup right chucking something else yeah. in there to another option to to do some different things and um because it's you know you compare it to like the regular ogres right now where um they have to get a kill to get their extra action versus this you can charge in and then double attack something um yeah. so it just it the, the action um kind of sequencing changes a little bit and it, you you might want that sometimes um for for what list you're building so it's definitely it's an interesting one i just i also just realized as we're talking about them how much they look they remind me of like 40k orcs where they've got like the bandoliers all over their bodies with these bones kind yeah. of like, oh yeah like an ammo all over the place <laughs> daka daka yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so I was going to ask you, is this leader worth allying in some destruction bands? Like, would you take him in a cruel boys list, you know, or, or, I mean, a cruel boys list, he could be really nasty. Mm -hmm. I would take him. Yeah. Yeah. I would take him in iron jaws, even, you know, just like mm -hmm. having that movement. Um, I think he fits in a really nice space. There's nothing in between a mega boss and a crusher right now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, if I for for whatever reason couldn't quite fit a crusher in my list, I had two forty. Would I take this leader over a mega boss? I think in most lists I probably would. Um, I think it's close. I think I'm more excited about a mega boss for two twenty five than I am 
for this leader for 235. But if I had 235 in the list, I think I would take this leader. Over this guy's got boss. five movement versus the mega boss is three, right? So... Right. I mean, that's huge, right? Um, <laughs> the mega boss is going to win, win fights that this guy won't win. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. He's still he's still amazing. I think he's when it, it reminds me of kind of like the the uh, uh, buffet that uh, chaos has basically, where you can really yes. get exactly what you want. And this is just another again, it's like a side grade from all of these different options. Where if you're looking for a specific thing, you've got another tool that might fit what exactly you're looking for, which is really cool to have. Just yeah. what destruction needed was another great ally. Another <laughs> I, know, right? I was just gonna say that. Just with but that's kind of their yeah. thing, right? That's like that's how yeah. they're built. Like you know, Soulblight and all of the this, the death ones are like here. We're gonna throw a thousand models at you. None of them are gonna yeah. be crazy big, but they. It's the I think the general or the grand alliances are getting pretty clearly defined. The more, right. and more order is like we have dwarves. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I sit here going like, well, what's the orders like? Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> well, it is it is the year of the dwarf. I mean, we had another big tournament that was won by a bunch of dwarves, right? I mean, dwarves are good. It's just order without dwarves is so silly. Um, this guy I do think is better than you know, like chaos has that you know smorgasbord of options. I do like this guy better than the two thirty five point chaos premier guy right now, who's the um. I think the blood kind with the one big axe. Oh yeah. Uh, really solid model. Very similar in that it's like five inch move. You know, offensively focused. Um, but I do think that this gorger guy is better than the blood kind is. Interesting. Well, I can't wait to get it. I can't wait to paint him up, and I can't wait to put him on the table and show Dan that yes, they actually can. <laughs> compete but you know i mean it might take me a long time to be able to prove that so. the first person that beats dan with the gorgers in a list that dan cares about that thinks is good gets i'll i'll make an award i'll send it out to you that's right <laughs> gorger award it needs to be like a, a soup bone that you get from like the butcher shop yeah you know? for sure yeah <laughs> exactly awesome so dan you All gotta right. keep a tally you're gonna you gotta you got a bounty on you now for for Gorger beating. And for the next true. year, is only going to play Gorgers now. <laughs> I mean, that's been true for me for the past year and a half, no matter where I go or where I play. So this is, this is good. This is more of that. <laughs> and, yeah. and with a worse war band, in your opinion. So, right? They yeah, have to yeah. play one that's easier for you to beat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, well, uh, great, great discussion on that. I can't wait to talk next month about the the doggo list and and how that's going to work, um, because it seems like they got some tricks in their bag that they can use. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, this all plays out. But uh, let's get to December. Our we want to close out the year of the dwarf by doing the dwarves. Fair enough. All right, we'll do it if we December, have the rules we'll by the then. We still, yeah. oh it's the only one that we haven't seen the rules for yet. I've been, I've been like uh, every like hour going on YouTube and seeing if somebody's uploaded a video, uh, just anywhere I can go. Like I've, I've seen people comment on people's videos like, Hey, did you get the dwarves yet? And they're like, nah, it's dry out here, man. It's no love, yeah. no dwarves here. Keep looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll be good. I'm excited for them uh, to, to see what we get. So, um, well, let's talk about uh, our, our main topic today, which is the player code of conduct. And I just want to kind of preface this a little bit um, with how we kind of left our last podcast, 
which is that I I truly believe that the War Cry com- competitive community is taking significant growths right now. Uh, you know, I I have said for the longest time that it is a shame that War Cry came out in 2019 because I think that they had plans to make it uh, similar to a kill team and it uh, ended up tripping in during COVID. Right. And I know that like, I was excited to like run tournaments. They had those like store tournament packs that you could get. And they just all sort of went to not um, because of that. And, um, and so a bunch of people stayed in their homes and they played it with their wives or girlfriends or friends that, you know, didn't care about quarantining with each other or whatever it was, or even their kids. And it very much got a reputation of this is a great narrative game. And it is. It is a very good narrative game. Um, I think it's probably one of War, uh, Games Workshop's best narrative games out there. Uh, you know, of course, you can play 40K narratively. You can play AOS narratively. You can play Kill Team narratively. But... Um, this one seemed to have those narrative bones baked into it from the get-go. With that said, I see this all the time on Facebook and some of the chat rooms and stuff like that. Warcry is not a competitive game because of all the randomness. And we can go into all the things of why that's not true because I just, I know it. I, I saw it at the Nova Open. Warcry is absolutely a competitive game and it can be. And I think more and more people are starting to realize Hey, I like this skirmish game. I like the fantasy setting, and I like the competitiveness that I just am not getting with either Age of Sigmar or some of my other things that I'm doing. So the community is growing, and I think what we see when a a community is kind of small but it's building out, more people are coming in. Um, you're starting to see players really bring that competitive edge to the table, and sometimes it can feel like they're shooting angles a little bit, right? They're trying to get, they're trying to squeeze all that competitive juice out that they can They're um, And sometimes it can lead to negative play some uh, or negative play experience. Let me say, sometimes it can lead to, you know, questions about like, did that really happen? Did they not know the rules very well? Did I not know the rules very well? There's like a lot of questions about like, you know, how, how this is. And especially when you're finding kind of a mix right now of some very competitive players coming in and mixing with people who are like, Oh, I'm just going to go play at a Warhammer tournament with my very narrative list that I'm bringing, you know? And it's kind of like, okay, like where are we like, like where are we mixing right now? So all of this to say that I think Warcry competitively is moving in a very good direction. Um, and a very competitive direction, which I think is good for the game in general. But that presents its own challenges, right? This, the challenges being that um, we need to create an environment, especially as tournament organizers, to um, uh, make sure that we have a good experience, that we promote a good experience for all of our players. And uh, that's kind of where we left off our last discussion and where I wanted to kind of pick it up this week is uh, if we're looking at um, from the perspective of tournament organizers, how can we put into place uh, like a code of conduct or something like that for players to um, understand where the guardrails are in terms of having a positive experience. So let's kick this off here of like, what is a code of conduct and like 
you know, have you seen this implemented well in other gaming systems? Have you seen it not implemented well? Like, what do you what do you guys think? Like, like what what are we talking about here? Even. I mean, it's tough because the best implemented ones just don't come up. Mm -hmm. You know, um, which so then it it becomes tough to say like what are the what are the good parts of the ones that mm -hmm. are implemented well. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of it is definitely having tournament organizers that feel pretty clear about what they're interested in enforcing and what they're not. But that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about kind of creating a, a code of conduct that then players can read and, and take a look at. Um, so what are the building blocks of it? I guess you would want to talk about sort of what your pre-game conversation is supposed to look like and then standards for how you conduct maybe some of the basic actions that that come in the game and then how you treat your fellow players um i would say maybe those are sort of the three i guess pillars that i could think of i don't know does anyone else think you know both in, just in terms of generalities does anyone have sort of a, a major pillar that they'd want to make sure would get taken care of other than other than those three. Uh, so what, so the uh, what was your middle one? Uh, so it was pregame conversation, um, like taking care of like core game actions, like yep. how one executes core game yep. actions. Fair and play. Then, yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Like um, like dice roll. Like how do you do your dice rolls? How yeah, do you yeah. clear yeah. things? Right. Yeah, like don't hide your dice from me. Let make sure your opponent can see your dice rolls. Uh, right. Like if you have a dice yeah. tray, you do it this way. You don't if you don't have a dice tray, you do it that way. I mean, I recently watched a AOS thing on What is a cock die? Like what really is a cock die? Yeah. Right. Exactly. No, but that's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I think it has to be very casual player friendly, but it's gotta be, you know aimed towards being able to enforce it for bad actors too. I mean, I saw an AOS symposium on fair play, I guess you would call it by a, a pretty popular content creator where like one of them was like, I use a dice tray, it's great. And then the other goes like, yeah, I, I asked my opponent to use my dice tray. And then it like escalated to this point of like anyone who doesn't bring a dice tray is an <laughs> asshole who should not be allowed to enter tournaments and it's like whoa okay you guys <clears throat> missed like somewhere along the line here you guys really messed up uh <laughs> yeah right? so um that was a runaway truck <laughs> yeah brick, brick killed the guy right got out of hand in a hurry yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think um, I, I really like the, especially like the, the conversation. I think we're playing a game together. I think um, having having that be a conversation, right? The game, um, and I think beforehand figuring out what the definition of how you're going to talk to each other is. Um, so I, I like the like kind of the the uh, different areas that you described there, Dan. I think another part that I really feel kind of passionate about is that there's there's different people that you're playing against at every tournament right and i think understanding beforehand if there's almost like a 
uh, definition of like not 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 going to like I'm a competitive player. I'm like a casual player, but like you know when you're playing someone who's playing their like second game of Four Cry ever, right? Mm-hmm. And you know you're going to be handholding a little bit and helping them out. Um, and, and so maybe having kind of this like a discussion about okay are like what what are you doing what are you looking what are your expectations out of this game and then how do how do we play with that together so and yeah. i think flexible and inflexible kind of version of what this game can be right so flexible being like oops i, I kind of goofed on this one is it okay if you know if we can, are able to take this back setting that expectation up front whether it be from a to perspective or from a gameplay perspective um so like like yep it's totally cool you know i'm happy is we'll have this kind of back and forth where we're going to allow it with each other or setting it so like nope once once you've moved that piece you cannot move it back whether you you know realize it's a misplay or something like that i think having that really hard and fast uh, before the game is super important and again i think just those expectations of how you're going to interact with each other um is something and and again i I think there's a there's almost like three different levels that you could put in there maybe more but um it's kind of like a you know then the three different tiers you kind of layered down i think these are almost like lined up across like the columns to the rows and that kind of stuff in a way um that yeah i I feel like it's just really important to understand how you're talking to each other so i think i think that part of that falls into like just the general category of player etiquette right um you know because I, I was fortunate, and Jason Jason also kind of will um, attest to this, but we were fortunate to learn Age of Sigmar from one of the nicest guys ever. His name is Matt Barker, you know, and he's, like, seriously, like, one of the nicest people ever. And when we would sit down and talk about our lists and things like that, he would just say, like, I want to explain everything to you. I don't want to do a gotcha hammer. You know, like like, me hiding something to spring it on you is the wrong way of playing if you're going to beat me, like, or I'm going to beat you, I want to make sure that it's done in the right way, you know? And the way that he would sit down and walk through his list, that he would walk through all of his tips or his tricks that he could pull. And he, I mean, he would do them later, you know, and in the right time in the right way, but it never felt like, oh man, you totally hid that from me. And now like it, you know, we have a negative play experience. Um, And so I think that, I think that kind of player etiquette right there of, of really kind of saying like, I want to have a good game with this player that's sitting across from me. Like that should be the root of everything that we're talking about here. Right. Which is, I want to facilitate a good fun game here. It can be super sweaty. We can be like literally like playing our guts out here, but you know, a, a respectful, good like game. And that should be the driver of like, sharing your list beforehand, like, you know, helping somebody out that might be struggling. Like, hey, you want to take that move back? No problem. Go ahead and do it. Like, because some of this gotcha stuff, like, that's where that's where it gets um, not fun, you know? Yeah, and so I, I... Oh, go on, Jason. You go Yeah, first. okay. I was, I, I was going to say that um, I like your, your kind of breaking up the segments, Dan, earlier. I think there's, like, pre-game... There's game execution and then there's post game, right? You could probably break it into those three categories. And and what happens in pregame is kind of something Justin was talking about. There's list overview, right? And like when we played Age of Sigmar, uh, that we did have code of conducts in a, in a lot of the Age of Sigmar tournaments we went to. And one of the code of conducts is you know you print out a, a list, you have a copy of your list for your opponent, you give it to your opponent, you give them an opportunity to ask questions about your list, right? Um, and that's an opportunity to avoid the gotcha hammer that can happen. Like, oh, I hope he doesn't see this one thing so that I can use it on him when, you know, and and that's where you, I think, 
that's where you have some explicit, tangible things that you say. There's good players of, hey, I know you're looking at my list. You might not have caught this, but this guy is actually really critical. You want to watch out for this guy. Like, that's a good play experience. But they're not necessarily required to do that. And if they don't do that, doesn't mean they're a bad player. That's why we give boundaries like, number one, you must print off a copy of your list, hand it to your opponent, and give them an opportunity to ask you questions. Yeah. So you give a very concrete, tangible thing to try to drive that player interaction uh, in that early phase. I think another one that we talked about in the middle phase, in the execution, is I think it actually helps to be very clear on how are we going to roll dice Cock dice is a great one. Oh my gosh, I've seen so many dice be re-rolled that were not cocked, right? Oh, it's a cock dice because it was like touching a tree. I'm like, eh, okay, whatever, you know, just do it. But, you know, and I've seen rules like your opponent, your op- if your opponent can put a dice on top of that and it doesn't slide off, then it's not cocked, right? So you can put things like that in. Another one is um, take backs or missed rules, right? If your turn is over, when, until your until your turn or your activation is complete, you can take back. Or once your activation is complete, or you've moved through an action into another action, like there are no take backs. No, oh, I forgot that guy actually has two, three attacks. So I'm going to roll an extra dice. Eh. Like clearly defining those things helps avoid situations uh, that people can get in stuck in where one person might be okay with it, but the other person may not be, and then you have a conflict that a T over has mm-hmm. has to come over in. I'll tell you one thing that happens to me all the time. I'll hide a guy around the corner somewhere because I don't want him to be seen. <laughs> and then I'm like, two two rounds later, I'm like, I never moved that guy. Oh, yeah. You, you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, I didn't use him last turn. And I, as soon as the words leave my mouth after we've rolled priority for the next round, I was like, oh, I never moved that guy. I look at my opponent and I go, and I never will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Like our last, our last kill team game, right? Yeah. Like turning point five. You like said, yeah. Jason, I don't want to get you mad, but and then you pointed at a guy that I never moved the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> I just forgot he was there. <laughs> and one thing that I think is tough with some of these is, for example, like printing out your list to give to your opponent is something that is like really important to do, but almost no one does it. Yeah. And I do wonder in a really casual space if it's a little unfair to expect that from people. But at the same time, I do think it's a bit of a red flag for maybe playing in good faith. If someone has a cheat sheet for themselves, but did not print a copy yeah. to give to yeah. opponents, you know, I think that's a, so, a bit of a red yeah. flag in general. And then the gotcha hammer, one thing I've heard that I kind of like, that's a little bit from AOS is trying to, uh compensate for elements of the game that are like encouraging gotcha hammer so aos has a few different things like if you're within a a certain bubble of me i get to do a thing and then it's like yes i explain it to you at the beginning but i'm explaining to you 40 different things and your eyes are rolling back into your head and you can't hear it and so the thing i heard was the first time you walk into this trick Like, I'm going to explain it to you at the beginning. And then the first time you walk into it, I'm going to explain it to you again and give you a take back. Well, reactions in Warcry are like really playing in that space of like encouraging players to gotcha hammer each other. And so, for example, 
the cruel boys reaction is a great example like mm -hmm. you stepped in my in my bubble i get to kill you now no one in their right mind would have stepped into that bubble knowing that they that they would die for doing it and so giving them a reaction or a take back on the first one i think is really important but at a certain point it's like well, I did build this list trying to create sure. bubbles that I force you to step in that now you die. So I can't give you a take back every time because that's not really fair to me either. So saying like you get a take back the first time you step into yeah, mulligan, the first right? time you blunder into a reaction, you should get a take back. Um, but then after that, at a competitive event, you probably shouldn't after the first one. Yeah. Um, and then maybe at a casual event, you know, you get like at a narrative event, you could say you get two. I mean, like Magic does this where they have competitive REL, they have professional REL, and they have casual REL. I think they have, they actually have a few, I think they have like five different um, rules enforcement levels. Uh, I'm not necessarily advocating that for Warcry, but I am, uh, you know, you, we could do two enforcement levels, mm -hmm. right? And I think that would be reasonable, something and like that. I agree, Dan, too. I think it's hard because Warcry is in a space where it's so unexplored. And so when you find a combo, I think I think Rob's list from uh, from Nova is a fantastic example of a really cool combo that somebody discovered um, that did kind of rely on people not necessarily being super familiar with it. Even when you know about it, you still have to play around it, though. But I think part of what's fun in the game right now is finding those and almost like like trying to prevent that from being an experience that you get is I also like kind of struggle with it. Don't know if it's good, bad or otherwise um, to, to not allow it. Right. And I, I like the idea of going, yeah, let's have an, a single instance maybe where you can see it. Um, you, you get it described to you and then you can actually see what's going on with it. But um, yeah, it, there comes a point certainly where like, I'm not going to <laughs> just keep, keep giving you take backs on these, you know, these right opportunities where like it's the whole point of the game um and that i think that's kind of where i was kind of going before and i, I the magic one i figured you'd have some really good magic context for <laughs> this conversation yeah. um obviously it's a really well established space um but you know having the you know the understanding the level of play that you're at and what your opponent's at and then yeah. being able to, to cater that right so like yeah if it's a brand new person i'm going to tell you every time you know if i if i play a brand new person in a tournament typically i'll i'll help you define every single rule but i'm not going to try to help you beat me necessarily yeah, um, right. until maybe late game if i feel like the game's in hand i'll go let's let's talk through some strategy here so you can yeah. also get better because i'm here for a reason you're here for a different reason how do we meld those two together and i think having maybe again more more clearly to find areas of what um yeah when and how to to apply those you know again take backs is just such an easy example to use for it but you know number when frequency all that kind of stuff i think having this strictly defined area for that is a really good idea I'll tell well, you. So, uh, go ahead, Jason. Just a real quick, interesting thing. It was uh, was it Gen Con twenty fifteen or fourteen? We were at a Gen Con and we were watching a final play of uh, of the um, the Star Wars. Um, oh, I just had a I just had a brain dump. What's the uh, What's the Star Wars uh, ship? X Wing. Yeah, X Wing. Mm -hmm. We were watching yeah. the final championship bat, uh, fight, right? And um, the guy rolled his defense dice. He missed, or he didn't defend, and it blew his ship up. He reached his hand across the table. They shook hands. 
everyone was patting on the back. And then the guy looked down at his card and says, oh, wait, I actually have three defense. So he picked his other, before he could do anything, he picked oh, no. up that green dice and threw it. And it became, it was a dodge. And so he's like, I'm still up. I'm still alive. And like the tournament organizers and everyone had to go take like a five minute side <laughs> channel to see if they were going to let this guy take that thing. Cause he already shook hands. Right. Yeah. So it's like have, because it wasn't set up in the code of conduct, what happens after you shake hands? Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, to me, it'd be very clear. If you shake hands, you concede mm-hmm. yeah. period. Yeah. There's no, Oh wait, here's a take. You don't take back on a concede. Right. But it wasn't in the code of conduct, so they had the tos had to be called over. This is the last game of the tournament, right? And they had to they had to. It's just kind of everyone was standing around like this guy is kind of a jerk. Like you lost the game, but you know he yeah. went for it. Uh, so it was interesting. It's so hard because nobody feels good on those either. Right? Nobody right. does. Right? Like yeah. well, it, it just completely yeah. takes the air out of everything, yeah. and it just it sucks. And there's there's no way to fix it really other than to go. This is what we said the rule is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um. I want to I want to hit on something that Dan said about like printing out lists and stuff like that. I actually don't think it's as important in Warcry as it is in Age of Sigmar. I think Age of Sigmar the lists are so long. Yeah, you I have agree. to you have to know like what weapons people are bringing for each like unit. You got to know what spells they're taking. Like I mean, there's just artifacts that are happening. There's so much going on in an Age of Sigmar list that's not involved in a Warcry list. Um, with that said. I still think that the conversation needs to happen. And the easiest way to do that, in my opinion, is you set out your warband. Here's my dagger. Here's my hammer. Here's my shield. Here's each unit that's in one of those. Here's each unit that's in one of those. And you can just talk about it. You know, like that you have it right there. And you can point to the model. This is this is like, here is my big stab at. He can, he's got a two-inch range. You know what I mean? Like this is, and, and they um, have a bonus move if I'm within six inches. And so his threat range to attack you at least one time is 10 inches. You know what I mean? Like he can go 10 inches. And um, I'm not opposed to even taking some of my models, like with the cruel boys, and putting it on the side of the table and being like, here's this guy. If this guy moves here, this guy can move in. And like literally demonstrating it happen, you know, like really quickly so that you can kind of see what happens. I don't know that you need a physical paper. And and one of the things that we did with the Nova Open is we had all the lists available that anybody could look at them at any time so that when you're paired up, you could go through and look at that person's list right away without even having to ask for them. You know, so now does that mean that when you look at that list, you understand what it's doing? No. And I think that there is a little bit of onus on your opponent asking you what your list does. Okay, like so what we what we're saying is, um, oh, you should be sharing with them. Yes, but they should also be asking as well. What does it what does that guy do? What does that guy do? And it should be an environment where those questions are welcomed. Do you know what I mean? Like where it's okay to ask somebody about their their war band and okay to be like, okay, that guy looks really big. Does he hit hard? Oh, he only has two hit he only has two attacks uh for each act okay interesting but it's 510 oh okay good to know you know what i mean and like tell me about like so how does this uh, reaction work and, and things like that so i i don't know that you have to have the physical piece of paper in your hand is what i'm saying um but i do think that you know i getting with your models and showing them saying like and pointing at them i think is 
more than sufficient in terms of explaining your warband. And I think it's even better because if I know that sometimes when I look at an AOS list in front of me, I'm like, okay, let's just play. Like, I don't know what I'm looking at here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what this spell does and I can ask you and you're going to tell me, and I'm probably going to forget in five minutes anyway, let's just play and see what happens, you know, but that's also me, you know, and kind of how I play. I'm like, okay, you know, but, um, yeah, so we're kind of getting into yeah, go ahead. Sorry. We're kind of getting into a difference between code of conduct and player best practices here. I mean, sure. like, what you're talking about isn't necessarily something on either side that could be enforced. Like, you know, you must ask your opponent what their best model is and they must, <laughs> you know, sure, objectively sure, sure. Yeah. or like, um, but the thing I like about having a printout and I, you could never require this, but making sure that your rules are easily accessible for your opponent is, I think, part of playing fairly. And I think a lot of people can easily put their fighters down and say, this guy's sweet. Check him out. He's going to do this to you. And then, like, especially with the proliferation of Underworlds models into the game, a lot of the time it's this stupid little guy who wins the game you know and so and so explaining every single fighter like i don't know if you guys have had this experience in aos but this is one of the only experiences i do have when i play aos is the player who does not necessarily know what is relevant and not relevant in their aos list so they just read you the whole freaking thing yeah and yeah. they're just like their uh, their own eyes are going cross-eyed and they're just reading lord <laughs> scrolls out of their book and they refuse to start the game until they've read you every war <laughs> scroll or every allegiance ability word for word because they've heard that not doing that is bad sportsmanship but they don't actually have the expertise to really know how to explain it to you in like a really effective way and like let's be honest we're war gamers most of us are not dripping with riz so we don't really talk all that effectively uh necessarily especially to people we aren't already friends with and so uh like just saying like we should be good at talking with our opponents and we should have these great wholesome conversations. I think that's really easy for like the people who have chosen to gab on airways uh, about the game to, to say when maybe not everyone in the community is as comfortable with that conversation. So I don't know, I almost, again, I know that requiring printouts is really bad practice because not everyone's got time for that, but as far as like bringing it into a code of conduct, I would almost like something formal, you know, or something like you should, at the very least, you should make sure that your abilities are accessible for your opponent, um, something like that. I think I that's know. fair. And, and, you know, like with if you're using Best Coast pairings, it's easy if you've uploaded your list to be able to like tap on their roster to look at it. Do you know what I mean? And um, like it's I so I, we're getting into an area where I think um, I so I think the let, let me back up a little bit. 
the goal of this is to start the conversation about creating a community document that it becomes a code of conduct, right? And so, like, I'm going to take the action after this to start putting pen to paper on it and then going out to the community to kind of, like, help shape that, right, with some of uh, some of our uh, more um, – some of our folks that want to participate. But um, one of the uh, – we talked about pregame, during game, you know, the mechanics and stuff like that and postgame type of stuff. But one of the things that I want to address, because we're kind of coming up on time, if not a little bit over, um, one of the things I do want to address is the TO's role in in creating an environment to help this happen, right? So, for example, um, two things that I thought of as we were talking tonight is, number one, um, if we want to have the conversations happen about what your warbands do, we probably need to give a little bit more time for each round. Mm-hmm. You know, because 75 minutes is a good amount of, in my opinion, 75 minutes is a good amount of time to play the game. Like if we're adding some administrative stuff on the front end of that, like we probably need to give a little bit more time to be able to sit down and say, okay, like what, this is what my warband does. Tell me what your warband does. That's not a conversation that's going to happen in 30 seconds. And so like the TO should probably give a little bit more time for that, right. To foster that. And um, with that said, I'm a big proponent of making sure or uh, of the TO making sure that list can be accessible, right? So whether that's on a Google doc sheet that everybody can access, you know, or uh, in best coast pairings, if that's what they choose to use or, or something else like fostering the environment so that it's not even an option for the player not to share their list. Like it's just automatically going to be there. And um, with the understanding that that, that that's that, Right. So taking away some of the um, um, some of the uh, uh, or, or, or not taking away, but putting the onus on the TOs a little bit to help foster like some of this, some of these best practices that we're talking about. So that those are some thoughts that I had about that. Okay, and I think what you're saying is the tournament structure, not the TOs, because the TOs sure. are there just to adjudicate. But it's really right. the tournament structure. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, you're the only one of us who isn't a TO. What? That's when not true you... anymore. Oh, no. Are you? I did the oh, TTS that's true. Well, <laughs> well, well, well now, yeah. uh, now you're not pure anymore. You're too, so. Yeah. <laughs> Next so question. When, you, when you're playing, like, what would be the number one thing you would, you would be interested in as far as support from the TO that you're playing with, you know, to in the conversation we're having, like not necessarily mm -hmm. to make sure there's good snacks, even though I do think that that's the number one thing TOs should be concerned about. Um, but like, as far as helping players be courteous, gracious players to each other, uh, what would be your number one? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because I per personally, like I think this conversation really does run parallel with, as you said, the best practices and just essentially courteous and um, considerate gaming, right? Um, I, I think it's really hard to completely separate these two out. And uh, I, so I think some of the stuff that if you just want to create more of a, like a rigid structure from a TO standpoint, like, hey, this is what we want to lay down every single time. This is what you can expect, as you said, kind of, uh, Justin, that with every single time, this is what you have to do. Um, and then there's best practices within that as well. But um, so, I mean, stuff like I, I 
I play, I started playing elite list because I play slow. Um, I think about every single move deeply and with massive amounts of consideration. So I think um, having consistent like time updates, things like that. Uh, and I know Dan, your tournament, you're really good about like giving halfway ones, giving round updates, like, Hey, we're coming up a quarter of the way through, like keeping people up to speed with that stuff more. Just, and that's, you know, that's more structural um, facilitating, I guess. I, <laughs> I, uh, I try really hard to have a really good time with my opponent when I'm playing. And so I, I try really hard to foster this positive experience with them. So I don't often feel that I personally need a ton of assistance from a TO, honestly, to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but like some of the <clears throat> some of the things that I really try and do is basically what we've talked about, right? Like making sure that um, I'm not obfuscating any important information that could possibly be there. So having that, you know, I, I, I think the timing becomes an issue because how much time are we putting into uh the entire tournament we're playing four rounds over a day or if, if assuming it's a four round when it's a long day already we're tacking on another what half hour 45 minutes just so that we can talk about lists beforehand potentially you know there's, there's pros and cons to both of those but i think making sure that that is an expectation that if and it, like justin the way that you said it if you do have questions they should be answered right i don't um i don't think there should be any time where nobody or somebody does not know that wants to know something about what's going on here um i think maybe you can make an argument that perhaps tactically in game, that's not something that, um, you know, you need to share, like, how am I going to play this mission? And like, you know, what are my, what are my goals with this, this warband and stuff like that, but knowing what they functionally do is super important. Um, yeah. I don't think you want to ever have it yeah, be the case where <laughs> you're, you're feeling like you're, you're not aware of stuff with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, like the timing one is one of the biggest things, just making sure that people understand where they're at what they're doing and you know the the point of it um I, I think if you're going i think there needs to be somewhat of a mindset change um and making it okay to call tos right like just just like if if you have a question on anything say hey i, I need someone to come over here and normalizing that uh promoting that as a best practice for for any player and obviously the tos need to be responsive to that part of it for sure say yeah i'm, I'm happy to answer these questions without any you know um come in and yeah, no stigma, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I know yeah. you know you, you guys have talked about like there's potential bias. We're we're a small community. People know each other, and you you, you have friends. Turns out everybody <laughs> likes to know people and have conversations yeah. with them. So you can't completely hide that. But coming in with the assumption on both sides that there needs to be objectivity. Um, you know, again, I, I don't I don't know how you put that necessarily into a code of conduct, but I think that it's more it's it's just a mindset that you have coming into it. Um, and trusting that the code of conduct or, or you know any any piece of uh um, scaffolding that's been created around the tournament is implicit that you're you're kind of going along until it's been proven otherwise that it's effective and set in place with with best uh best interests in mind mm -hmm. yeah and i also this is changing the subject a little bit but part of it mike i think you gave us a really good capstone for what we were just on and something since we're running out of time that I think is probably one of the more important things as Warcry gets bigger, especially given that, not to give a bad name to 40K players, but given that we are starting to, you know, take some folks out of the 40K community who are picking up Warcry is um, like player safety and feeling safe at events which i think is really important i think the warcry community has um you know has a larger percentage of female players than the 
wargaming community at large. It has a larger percentage of people who are, there are gonna be people who downvote us just for saying the word cis on, on cast, but who are like cis white men on, you know, like there is just a, um, like hetero cis white men, like there's just a smaller percentage. And by smaller, I mean, it's like 90% <laughs> instead of 99%, right? But like, that does matter as far as, um, no one should be uncomfortable for being the only person in the room looks like they look, you know? And that is something that has come up at a lot of 40K tournaments where people have made other folks feel unsafe for even showing up. And mm -hmm. those people have not been punished generally, historically at 40K tournaments. And uh, that is something where I would hope that it would be in any code of conduct that like, I mean, bringing up the, the literal Nazi event in Spain that like really blew up a couple years ago um, is, is one thing, but like, I don't know. I would hope that that would be in any code of conduct and it should not be needed. I've never been to a war cry event where it was needed but I have seen plenty of 40K events where it was needed. And so the bigger Warcry gets, the more we'll be pulling from that community. I've been to painting hangouts at LGSs where it would have been needed, right? Where there's then, you know, someone who just really loves guns and has opinions about who guns should be used on and is just giving those opinions while he's painting. And it's like, dude, what are you like? what are you doing man and like this was in this situation this was a guy who was actually employed by the store you know <laughs> giving these opinions about what types of americans the guns that his space marines have should be used on i mean it's Gosh. it's incredible stuff but <laughs> oh, like boy. the fact that but like that the wargaming community has those people and mm -hmm. um I would hope that any war cry code of conduct would just make it really clear what's acceptable and what's yeah, not. One of inclusion. That kind of thing. Yeah, I think, you know, I think this goes back to what we had said in the beginning and the, the kind of all encompassing statement, which is you want to have a good, welcoming, fun game with your opponent, right? Like be a good person, be a good opponent, right? Like, I mean, I think though, if you can do those two things and you're going to have a good experience. And so, you know, giving some of the um, guardrails, giving some of the best practices of like what that means to be a good opponent and also what it means to be a good person. I think if the community can understand that and say like, okay, this is going to be a um, tournament run by a tabletop and beyond and the code of conduct is in force here. Do you know what I mean? Like this is this is the code of conduct that we have. This is going to be a tournament run by the Salty Sea. The code of conduct is here. You know, like like when they come to our tournaments, they know that we're using the code of conduct. Like they know that this is a part of the fabric of the event that we are trying to put out. And so I think for it to be effective, and this is what I said to you uh, before the show, Mike, for this to be effective, it needs to be adopted by the community, mm -hmm. right? It can't just mm -hmm. be Justin, Jason, Dan, and Mike coming up with something and saying, mm -hmm. now we're going to enforce this right. everywhere. You can't dictate it, needs it to yeah. Be yeah, it's got to be bought in by the company or by the community and just upheld by the community because really 
at the end of the day, it's kind of our honor system of whether or not we are going to live by it or not. And then if it comes to the attention of a TO, then maybe further action has to be. But the way that it is really effective actually goes back to what you said earlier, Dan, is the best codes of conduct out there are the ones that you don't know exist because people have already integrated into the culture of their gaming community. And it's there and they don't have to keep talking about it because it's part of who they are, you know, and it, 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 uh, helps build a good community. So, um, yeah. So like I said, I'm going to take the action of starting to put some of the stuff that we talked about down on paper, and then we'll start socializing it a little bit more. And as we get more, um, uh, a, a more robust product ready to go, then we'll probably put it out to the larger community that they can, you know, give us some input and, and uh, we'll take some of the feedback and try to turn it into something that is going to be usable at, at any event that wants to use it as a code of conduct for their player. So and, yeah. and I think people should be prepared for this to take a few months. You know, mm -hmm. this is yeah. not going to be something we finish over the course of the next two nights and send to people, you know? Yeah. I think we can get it done in the, new, in the next few minutes with chat GPT. <laughs> there we go. Chat GPT. I, I want to see that though. I do want to see what are the, what is the best practices? Yeah. Within, within Warcry, according to the, the chat GPT, which has produced numerous illegal lists uh, with great logic within those lists. However, I, I would love to see what that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> well, they produced a Jade Obelisk list for me that has nothing to do with reality. <laughs> so, you know, it was pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, so thank you everybody for listening to our show. Uh, we appreciate uh, all the support that we get. Uh, come join us on our Tabletop and Beyond Discord. We've got a great, robust Warcry channel. In there, you can get connected with the likes of Mike and Dan. Um, and you can get hooked up with our table, uh, tabletop simulator tournament that is being also run in the big war cry channel, but, uh, sometimes it's easier to find it in ours because we're a smaller channel. So, <laughs> and, uh, and, and there's some interesting discussions that happen in our channel. So we would invite you to come and join us. So thank you everybody for the support. Thank you for um, listening and we will see you all at the tables. Have a good night.